Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Today, quite a message titled it, It's a Miracle. And, uh, you know, I understand we have all referred to things as miracles. You know, there's miracle in the Meadowlands. You know, there's the catch. Um, and uh, we refer to things as miracles. We use that terminology. And uh, that's probably not going to stop today. I understand that. Uh, yet... There, there needs to be a distinction between miracles and miracles, real miracles. Uh, so I'm going to challenge us to think biblically today when we think about miracles. And um, we have to ask the question, uh, as a church, are miracles still working uh, in, in process today? And if so, you know, why isn't Pastor John, why, why hasn't he got some action up here? You know, why don't I just call up John, you know, who broke his arm and just lay a hand on him and, and make it go away like that instantaneously? Or, or why, why don't I hand off, you know, a snake to the front row and pass it around? And, you know, why, why don't we do that here? Is there, is there something, even Christians, we can wonder, wonder to ourselves sometimes, is, is, like, is there something missing here? Is, is the spirit missing here? And uh, you know, some, might, some might think, it's like, you know, why don't we have things videoed? And why, why don't we call up, uh, uh, have something on the TV and call someone forth in a wheelchair and ask them to stand up in front of everyone and uh, on TV and then solicit, say, you know, if you'll send your $119 now, we can assure you'll have the same blessing by faith that this person just had stand on this wheelchair. Is there something we have missed some people might ask, well, I, I want to give you confidence today that no, there is nothing. The Spirit is here today, and, uh, and we're going to learn a bit about miracles. Uh, why is this important? One of the biggest reasons it's so important is because uh, people of little means are being victimized all over the place, being asked to send in a portion of their, their social security check. Uh, to someone who lives who knows where and uh, gathering, uh, gathering into their own barns while people are suffering and being defrauded. So, so this is very important to speak to today. Near the end of our message last Sunday, I stated, you know, how the Holy Spirit strives to replicate in us uh, the life of Christ. As Jesus displayed compassion for the poor, uh, so also do Christians who are born again by His Spirit. Uh, seen in the previous passage, people were sharing with those in need. And through exposure, really absorbing God's mighty Word, uh, we increasingly behave like Jesus. The indwelling Spirit replicates in us a moral likeness over time, uh, and Christian maturity, our, our process of spiritual development, it, it is an incremental process, a little slower than we would like it to be, but it's incremental. The Bible calls it sanctification. In fact, that is going to be our topic uh, this coming Wednesday evening, uh, justification and sanctification. What do they mean? Sanctification replicates a likeness of Christ in us. Now, there are limits to that likeness, all right? Every Christian knows there are limits to the replication. Uh, for instance, we do not become divine like Jesus. Uh, neither do we ever acquire divine attributes such as omniscience, that means knowing everything, or omnipresence, which means being everywhere, or omnipotence, which means having all power that God has. Christians also do not accept worship 
or glory as Christ does. Uh, so to propose that we become gods or, or even like a god, uh, that, that is a deviation present in many cults today. Um, both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was only a god. He, he was a god, a man who became God, uh, who then left behind a pattern, Jesus left behind a pattern, they teach, uh, for us to become divine also that we can replicate. This is erroneous teaching. I'm just sharing with what they, uh, what they teach. To varying degrees, they teach Jesus did not come to save us from our sins, uh, but to leave us a blueprint. Uh, uh, a blueprint of what we too can become, uh, and they reinforce that through the Book of Mormon and the Watchtower uh, Bible and Tract Society publications. Children, listen up. You'll get to college someday. Mormons incorrectly teach that the first man, Adam, became God. He, he then spawned a human race on earth, including his own physical son, Jesus. Um, Adam is Jesus' father in Mormonism. And they teach through accomplishing various works. Uh, Mormons today can also achieve God's status and potentially, uh, eventually have their own planet as well in the future where they can populate and spawn uh, their own race as well. That's just being honest and truthful. That is what they teach and believe. Uh, do not visit a Mormon church. That, that is a very deviant and dangerous cult, as are Jehovah's Witnesses. Christians never become gods. We, we don't replicate Jesus' deity or His divine attributes. We cannot create something out of nothing. We, we cannot see one another's hearts. We're not all knowing, uh, and we do not, and, and we, will, we will never uh, have the ability and power to speak things in the future into existence or to speak future events into existence. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't develop miraculous superhuman powers. All right, That's Marvel and the comics. That's, that's Superman. All right, That's not Christianity. Uh, which exposes another, another lie that pertains to what we'll learn today. Uh, it's propagated by a very, a now very popular, little God's doctrine. It, it's it's preached in the Word of Faith movement uh, of many Pentecostal and Charismatic churches, and to varying degrees they teach, if Christ did it in the Bible. It, then by the Holy Spirit, you and I can also do anything Jesus did. If you just have enough faith, okay? I have yet to see any of these false teachers walk on water. But this is what they teach. This too is false doctrine. Yet one argument that they put forth is the book of Acts. We'll see, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 43, um, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So it wasn't, they say, uh, only Jesus who did miracles. Uh, miracles were performed among his apostles as well, and a small number of other early Christians also that, that is true, that is true, and today we encounter uh, one of these apostolic miracles. We, we need to establish, and this is my hope and purpose today, is to establish that there was a purpose for miracles, and, and, and to give a framework through which we can understand everything that we're going to see as we progress through the book of Acts, because we're going to run into a bunch of this. So we might as well ask the question right away, what were their purpose? What were they for? And Acts 3 
And in verse 1, that's where we are today, uh, it is in fact the first visible miracle performed by the apostles, or by an apostle following Pentecost. Uh, but it is not their first miracle, nor, nor even their first successful healing. We actually learned during our study through the Gospel of Luke in the past that Jesus gave power certain powers to certain persons while he walked the earth, including the apostles. Luke 9 verse 1 states, uh, he called to get the twelve together, the twelve apostles. Jesus called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. There are a few other things we observe in that passage um, they did not become gods. Jesus proactively needed to give them this power, so it wasn't something that they had. Jesus had to delegate this to them. Um, and we also notice that the power did not continue perpetually. It was limited to a season as Christ walked the earth. And characteristics of such miracles we'll observe closely today uh, to determine whether such miracles still occur today. What constitutes a miracle? What is their purpose? And if scriptural characteristics of a miracle are not replicated by modern-day healers, are there still miracles today at all? If so, who is doing them? As we already know, Pastor John isn't doing them. Let's read our passage uh, before continuing. Beginning in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, we will see it's a miracle. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And the man began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, Peter raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as, as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Folks, that's a miracle. But before analyzing it, we need to establish the purpose of divine miracles. They, they have a purpose, and, and that purpose was to attest to God, testimony of God. They are, therefore, supernatural phenomenon. Supernatural phenomenon. They were not natural. But supernatural, that is what made them miracles. They defied laws of nature, laws of physics, laws of science. Folks, that is how you knew they came from God and how you knew that they were miracles. Consequently, Jesus' miracles, they attested, they gave testimony that Jesus had come from God. We already discovered this back in Acts 2, verse 22, just a few weeks ago. Peter said, men of Israel, listen to these words. 
Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. While Christ walked the earth, miracle signs and wonders supplied irrefutable evidence that Jesus was God's true Savior given to man. The miracles, visibly, they were indisputable. Indisputable. Walking on water. Withered limbs. Immediately restored to full health. And, and there even became dead bodies. You know, corpses that weren't dead anymore. Also attesting to God uh, at Pentecost were people who had never before studied or learned or spoken a foreign language, they spontaneously began declaring the mighty deeds of God in that foreign language. Again, another miracle. Concerning the twelve apostles, 13, once you add in the apostle Paul... What served as indication that these men were true apostles of Christ sent by God? What indicated that they, like Jesus, were also sent from God? Paul defended his own apostleship in this way. You'll find it in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 12. Paul wrote, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Signs, wonders, and miracles. The, the identical Greek words uh, that were used to describe, Scripture uses to describe what was done by Jesus Christ. In brief, the, the term signs, it, it denotes something visibly observable. That's the sign. You, you can see it. It's not a hunch. Hey, you, you think maybe God was behind that? No, no, that, that's not a miracle. You think, uh, I don't know. No, it was a visible sign from God. Wonders indicate things uh, that are just baffling, befuddling. They, they defy the laws of science, walking on water. And ultimately, therefore, miracles, it's, it's a Greek word dynamis, uh, used in conjunction with signs and wonders, uh, miracles affirms it could have only occurred by divine, supernatural power made visible. Only explanation for it. Divine power made visible. A miracle has to possess these three qualities for us to scripturally deem it a bona fide miracle. By the way, if you pull out your concordance and you, you, know, you find the word miracle, visible work of divine power, uh, you'll find it does not appear often. It is not played with loosely by New Testament writers. Uh, it is not trifled with. It is used very sparingly in the New Testament so when we say it's a miracle, it better be a miracle. It, it better be visible. It better be undeniably supernatural in nature, defying the very laws of physics and science, and only possible to explain through God's divine power. Does our passage in Acts 3 reveal a miracle? If so, what testimony is God giving to man? Well, with verse 43 of chapter 2, you know, forecasting, predicting uh, for us how, how many wonders and signs were occurring through the apostles, verse 1 now says, Peter and John, they headed up to the temple. This is where we discover the who. Who are they? Well, they're the apostles. Two of the apostles. Why did they go to the temple? 
you know, were they planning to join their hands together? Uh, there was an evening sacrifice every day at the, at the hour of prayer. Maybe uh, Peter and John were going to, you know, link arms with the Jews and offer up a sacrifice on the altar, um, the evening sacrifice. No, no. They went up to the temple because they knew at the hour of prayer there would be many people there whom they could testify to. And they could testify to the perfect one-time sacrifice for all sins. That is Jesus Christ. Next week, Peter's sermon, as we continue, will assure that God had sent them there to testify. They weren't there to practice Judaism. They aren't confused in any way. They're finding an audience, something that we would do well ourselves to find. And this I love. This I love. A man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the temple, uh, the gate called beautiful, and it was, we learn, it was so that he could beg alms. They carried him there every day because he was born lame. The Greek term implies crippled. Disabled, disfigured, his entire life. Folks, have you ever seen the television commercials that show disfigured children and raising money for the Shriners Hospital? And they always show them the modern apparatuses necessary to help these children even to stand, even just to stand what they need. They're raising money. Can't blame them. It's the sort of thing that is happening in our text. The, the, the man is begging for alms, but there is one major difference here. What is that? Who knows how old this man is? Chapter 4 is going to reveal to us that everybody knew that this man was more than 40 years old. That's Acts 4, verse 22. You know, we have several doctors in the house. They, they could testify for you the condition of this man's legs after 40 years. I'm not a doctor. Don't play one on TV. But I will assure you his legs are horrifically deformed. Having not borne weight, his bones have become increasingly disfigured over decades. Any muscle tissue that may have been present at birth, it is in complete and irreversible atrophy which provides the visible element of this miracle because everybody has seen this man seated begging at the temple every single day. In other words, they didn't just roll in an unfamiliar character, a shady fella, out of nowhere on a wheelchair and then onto the stage you know, with a, with a thick wool blanket covering his legs. This is a guy whom the locals have known for decades. And in our passage, unlike the people walking by and you know, pretending not to see him, uh, Peter and John stop and they look him right in the eye. In verse 4, Peter fixed his gaze on him. The man looks up expectantly, or, or at least hoping that he might receive a coin. Boy, is he wrong. We don't see any coaching in the process or in the text or, or anywhere else in Scripture, by the way, um, by Jesus' apostles. Peter and John do not say to the man, just envision yourself standing tall. Or, or just have faith and say these words. I am healthy. 
Your words have power, and if you want a better life, you can just speak your life into existence right now. The power is in you. Folks, such a prescription, not even an allusion to it, ever appears in the Bible. Scripture, we must remember, uh, has a closing exhortation uh, in Revelation. Do not add to the words written in this book. Any proposition, you know, reference James 4 verse 16 on this, any proposition that you can create for yourself a prosperous life by speaking positively, James describes as evil. All such boasting is evil. He says, you who say that you're going to travel to such and such a city and and go there and make a profit, what, what does James refer to those people? You're a vapor. You're nothing but a vapor, and all your boasting is nothing but evil. Rather, you should say, if the Lord so wills, we will rise tomorrow. We'll go make a profit according to His grace and His mercy. Uh, We don't speak the future into existence. Any proposition we can create our own future uh, is evil. To be healed, uh, Peter did not tell this man, Conceive it, believe it, and you will receive it. No. No, that that is horrendous doctrinal error. Uh, Rather, the man, verse 3, is asking to receive alms. He's looking for a coin. He's hoping for a little bit of money. And faith in a miraculous healing is far from his mind. But Peter sees it. And while Christ walked the earth, the twelve had been granted power to heal diseases previously. It happened once before in Luke 9. And in verse 6, Peter declares, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, this text portrays this man as completely passive in this process. Seizing him by the right hand, Peter raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Immediately. Folks, true miracles cause the laws of nature and physics to crumble. Because there always exists a supernatural element to divine miracles. Did this man need six weeks in rehab? No. Did he require surgery to correct any birth defect, any long drawn out hospital recovery in a bed? No. Nothing. Nothing. Didn't even have to be taken by an ambulance to see any doctor at all. Uh, How long did his recovery take? Help me out here. It was immediate. Spontaneous. No no period of recovery. Uh, It is a miracle. Immediate and full recovery. Folks, only, only supernatural power can explain how this man, how this man, it says, with a leap, Listen to this. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the gate called Beautiful of the temple to beg alms. That's the crippled guy. They they all knew him as the one. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Their, their minds were bewildered. They're, they're befuddled. They, they, they could not figure out how, the, how this is possible. And the recovery was baffling. 
uh, because it was biologically unexplainable. Biologically unexplainable. Verse 43 of chapter 2 told us that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. The Greek word there, awe, it implies a reverence to the point of fear. They were in awe of what God was doing through the apostles. They were in awe of the powerful signs that Christ was achieving through his apostles. People saw them. They're, they're, they're visible. Miracles are plainly visible to the naked eye. They defy all laws of nature and physics again uh, and can only be explained not by calculating the odds of recovery. You know, you know medical statistics. Oh, man, we're, we're given you know, burn victim, we're given the giving the person a 3% chance. You know, if we do enough grafting and, uh, and enough time and enough healing and the biology behind this that, that, that needs to occur, maybe he'll live. After weeks and months and years of... Re Is that a miracle? No. It's biology. It's biology. A miracle doesn't calculate odds of recovery over time. The explanation could only be supernatural for this man. Well, what was the purpose of the miracle? You know, was this by the apostles an attempt to eradicate all world suffering? No. Was this miracle essential to save this man's soul? Was it evangelistic uh, for some reason? No, no. We're, we're going to find later that God did grant this man faith. Uh, but I can assure you over 2,000 years of church history, scores of people who have remained crippled all their life have also received God's gift of faith. Miracles aren't necessary to save. Never have been. Uh, as previously... These miracles are, are God attesting to His Son, who is now proclaimed through His apostles. Miracles, signs, and wonders, Scripture tell us, are signs of a true apostle. Signs validate what Israel saw and what they heard through these apostles, uh, that it is true and that it's unmistakably sent from God. Why might that be important? Actually, why might that be supremely important in Israel at this moment? The reason is, is, is this simple. It's this simple. Israel's Messiah is no longer visible on earth because he has already ascended to the right hand of God to reign on high. And Peter had just revealed, or rather he had just preached in chapter 2, that Christ has fulfilled what, well, what God had sworn to David with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. So Christ is, Peter's saying Christ is seated on David's throne. And he says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So, so Peter has declared, your king, the Christ, is seated on David's throne. He now reigns from on high. That's, that's the declaration that has been made. It's not hard to imagine how Israel's religious leaders would have reacted to such a preposterous claim. They would have reacted very sarcastically, I am sure. They'd say, show me. A king? Where? We don't see any king. Uh, we sure don't see him reigning or sitting on any throne. Uh, Peter, have you taken your medications today? 
they'd say, you're a loon. You, you and your whole group of 12 over there, you've lost it. You're loony. They just would quickly discredit everyone who's claiming that Christ is reigning on high. They would have never accepted it. But Peter's not a loon. And the evidence that Christ truly is reigning and the veracity of this apostolic teaching, it's attested by God through many miracles. Many, many undeniable miracles. Everybody in Jerusalem sees them. And no one can deny that these signs are taking place. In chapter 4, we are going to see, or rather we're going to read, that members of the Sanhedrin, that's the high religious court in Israel, members of the Sanhedrin themselves, in their own words, are going to acknowledge, quote, nobody can deny that a noteworthy miracle has taken place. There's no escaping it. There's no getting away from it. Nobody can deny it. It's not like somebody has recovered from, from the flu over a long period of time. Noteworthy miracles have been taking place. And precisely as God had attested to His Son through miracles, He now attests to the apostles through miracles. He attests to what they're saying is true. It proves to Israel, you know, these guys, they're preaching. It's legit. The, the same attesting is going, on, is going to be given by God through the Apostle Paul. Signs demonstrating he too is an apostle of God. And after his ministry gets redirected to the Gentiles, um, we are going to see uh, that later on, believing Gentiles are going to receive the, Holy, the same Holy Spirit through the same signs displayed by believing Jews at Pentecost. Cornelius and his household um, are likewise, just like the Jews at Pentecost, Cornelius and his household are going to miraculously speak in unlearned foreign languages once Peter visits them. Similarly, though much later, Corinth and other Gentile cities, you know, like Ephesus, they will also speak miraculously in foreign language that they had never learned when Paul the Apostle visits them. So what the Apostle Peter accomplishes among Cornelius in Caesarea, that's still in Palestine there, what Peter accomplishes through Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, uh, God is going to use the Apostle Paul to replicate in the regions surrounding Rome and Macedonia and Illyricum uh, through signs, wonders, and miracles, God attests to the fact that these two are genuine movements of the Holy Spirit and legitimate advances of the Christian gospel. What happened at Pentecost here is now spreading and advancing way over there. During our scripture reading in Romans chapter 15 and verse 18, Paul wrote, quote, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Supernatural signs and wonders accompanied Paul and thereby validated the foreign expansion of the gospel. Well, why would that be needed? Well, it's needed. As you may remember, ethnic Jews, they, they were the first believers at Pentecost. In the Jerusalem church, Jews were the first Christians. They berated Peter for taking 
the gospel to a Gentile. For, for, go, for going to Cornelius. This is because they, they initially thought the new covenant was, was very much like the old in that a Gentile would need to first become a Jewish convert, a proselyte by circumcision, before he would be accepted by Christ. That, that's, that's what they had concluded at first. Jewish Christians had mistakenly believed that the new covenant, well, like the old, remained primarily Israel. If a Gentile were to believe, as in the Old Testament, Ruth and others, uh, if a Gentile were to believe, uh, they believed that he would have to convert to Judaism before he could be a Christian. Peter's going to Cornelius showed that there was Gentile inclusion. But full inclusion of the Gentiles was not understood until after Paul and Barnabas returned, from, uh, returned to Antioch after their first missionary journey to Asia Minor. In Acts 15, verse 3, we see Paul and Barnabas reported with detail a massive conversion of scores of Gentiles. Boy, that, that caused a panic. That caused a spectacle. No, actually, that called a meeting. They had a church meeting. Everybody know what that meeting's called? It's called the Jerusalem Council. It was, it was the first big church meeting. Uh, the question at the meeting, would Gentiles need to become Jews through circumcision before they would be embraced as Christian brothers under the new covenant? In the book of Galatians, Paul writes that he, along with a Gentile uh, partner that he had named Titus, he said, we didn't even yield for an hour. That's Galatians 2, verse 5. They insisted Gentiles do not need to become Jews to accept Christ. And what served as the basis for the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter's ruling? This is in Jerusalem now. Everybody's together. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter gave the ruling. What was the basis for his ruling? What was the evidence? It was miracles. It was miracles. Acts 15 tells us, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Speaking of Cornelius. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as He also did us. Speaking of Pentecost. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, asked Peter, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. Peter says, Jew, Gentile, grace of the Lord Jesus. Boy, aren't you glad? Um, the miracles, kind of summary here, begin to wind down. The miracles that occurred in Asia Minor, that was Paul's ministry, uh, Asia Minor and beyond uh, functioned, those miracles functioned as God attesting to a full inclusion of the Gentiles by faith. It was evidenced by the Holy Spirit granting to many of those cities the same miracles to the Gentiles which had been experienced among the Jews at Pentecost, speaking in tongues. Miracles among the Gentiles prove that you and I need not become a Jew. Nor, nor even, we don't even have to visit Israel in order to enjoy the same salvation and the lordship of Jesus Christ by faith. God makes no distinction, says Peter. Herein fulfills the purpose of 
miracles. Miracles attested that Jesus is the Christ. Miracles attested His 12 apostles were true apostles of Christ. Uh, They showed, they displayed that Gentiles like Cornelius could be accepted too. Miracles proved to the church, who was very doubtful at first, miracles proved to the church that Saul himself had become a true apostle of Christ as well. And the miracles that Christ achieved through him, round about as far as Illyricum and later beyond, uh, persuaded the Jerusalem council that the Gentiles across the earth had been grafted in as fellow partakers and joint heirs in Christ. This fulfills the purpose, at least the primary overarching purpose of miracles in the early church, to validate true apostles from false and to document for the church who was wondering about these things and to document for the early church the legitimate expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And afterward, once this age of the apostles and the canon of Scripture uh, both closed, around 95 A.D., after they were both uh, closed, all historical evidence shows that visible signs, baffling wonders supernatural divine miracles ceased. Cessation, it has been the consistent testimony of the church from the earliest writings of church fathers, Clement of Rome, Augustine, Athanasius, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Once the canon of Scripture was complete and the natural lives of the 13 apostles had expired, once the gospel had gone forth to the ends of the earth, miracles no longer had a function. They're not necessary. Today, listen to this, this is how unnecessary they are. Today, signs and wonders are not a mechanism for anybody to be saved as true Christians are taught to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Hebrews 11, verse 1 defines, quote, faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for it is by it that men of old gained approval. And the writer continues, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. True saving faith must embrace our Christ unseen and not as what is seen on TV. God's ordained catalyst for salvation has always been, from the very beginning of the church, the preaching of the Word. That's the catalyst for salvation. Uh, Neither I nor anyone else today needs to see a miracle in order to be saved. I have never seen one, nor do I want to. I truly do not want to. Because the Holy Word of God says that faith must rest in a conviction of things that are not seen. Not not a response of wonders and signs and brilliant stage lighting. As without faith, it is impossible to please God. Expecting visible miracles, folks, anticipating, demanding, expecting visible miracles, that actually displays a lack of faith. As Jesus said to doubting Thomas, who demanded to see something, he said, blessed are those who believe yet have not seen. You don't need to see anything. 
Therefore, we don't put God to the test around here. This church teaches unashamedly that apostolic signs and miracles have ceased. It means the age of visible signs and wonders and miracles has closed. Now, this does not mean, this does not indicate, uh, nor does it imply that we don't believe that God's providence still orchestrates and ordains human events. We do. Uh, we, we know and we trust and we pray to the invisible God uh, to sovereignly change hearts as an invisible work of His grace, unseen. We will not deny that God can and may on occasion in the hidden recesses, in, in, the, in the hidden recesses behind medicine and biology, maybe spare a person of a severe illness or a life-threatening disease during a recovery. God, as He so wills, may. We aren't denying that, the invisible behind the scenes. Folks, but extended hospital recoveries, they are not signs and wonders. And Scripture nowhere tells Christians to classify God's invisible and hidden work behind the scenes as miracles. We're never told to do that. Rather, we see them as God orchestrating human history through divine providence. That God is in control. That He knows what He's doing. God is in control of everything. And we do trust at this church that God is sovereign and that by His power, He upholds everything. Everything. Even life itself. Even every breath is enabled only by His power. But after, after every breath I take, I, I, don't, I don't say, oh, another miracle. Another one, another miracle. You get the point. Because we know that God works invisibly through natural biology, but it is not what Scripture calls a sign or a wonder. It's invisible. When someone recovers after a severe car accident, and they do, God is to be glorified for even allowing or enabling a recovery. But months in rehab isn't a miracle. There's nothing visibly unexplained. There are no laws of nature and physics broken through extended hospital stays. And people aren't left in awe. A miracle, this is what it would be, a miracle would be a critical patient waking up during surgery and taking the scalpel out of the doctor's hand and telling them, you won't be needing this, and then standing up and walking out of the emergency room immediately. Walking out the door, healed fully immediately. That, that would be a miracle because miracles are full and they are immediate. And we see no evidence today of signs and wonders that visibly defy human biology as, as clearly as it is represented in our passage. The, law, the laws of physics, like Jesus walking on water, you never see that today. The false healers on television today never restore missing limbs. Ever. Ever. They never raise the dead. They don't walk on water. They never dare set foot in a Shriners hospital. Think about that. You say you got the power to heal? Why aren't you going to Shriners hospital and helping those poor children? You don't have any power to heal. You're a fraud. You are a fraud. The little gods who insist on television that just like Jesus, they can rebuke the storm in the name of Jesus, they're nowhere to be found 
folks, when Hurricane Ian pummels Sanibel Island. They're not standing on the shore with their hand out boldly in the storm. They're fakes. They're fakes. And there is much harm in falsely claiming to do what Jesus and his apostles did. Uh, Jesus is our God and Savior. He's, he's God of the universe. He's creator of the universe um, about whom God the Father attests in Scripture. And he was validated through accomplishing many miracles and signs and wonders that served as undeniable proof that he is both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, said Peter to Israel at Pentecost. In the Bible, Christ performed and accomplished genuine miracles. And the supernatural evidence within these miracles, Peter says, functions as an important qualifying evidence that Jesus is the Christ. But concerning natural and biological, explainable human events like long hospital recoveries, when we do that, every time a person cries, it's another miracle. In the eyes of our neighbors, we diminish the enormity of what Christ accomplished himself. We water down the divinity of Jesus Christ and the testimony of his apostle Apostles, when we attempt to make miracles commonplace in society, when Scripture says there is nothing common about them. Our neighbors conclude, oh, recovery from surgery uh, is what you Christians qualify as a miracle, huh? <laughs> Whatever. They won't read the Bible. They'll just conclude that these must be the same types of miracles that Jesus did coming out of surgery uh, and recovering after a few weeks. Uh, that is a negative consequence of classifying things today that are clearly not signs and miracles and placing them in the same category of what Jesus Christ did. Follow me? Diminishes the greatness, the supremacy, the miracles of Christ. So rather... I always insist, rather than always insisting it's miraculous, perhaps we'd do better to say, oh, glory be to God. God is provident. Boy, He is gracious. He is powerful. He is loving. By His power, He, he sustains and spares life. What a great God. To the football player, you know, Damar Hamlin, I know nothing about him or his theology at all, um, but appear, it appears God has said to him, not yet, not yet. Praise God for his grace. That's wonderful. But a long and difficult recovery is not a miracle. I have never witnessed, I've already said this, but I have never witnessed anything paranoid paranormal like is presented in our passage today. I've never seen a corpse dead for four days who is no longer dead, one that stinketh, raised to life. Yeah, faith healers don't visit the morgue either. I've never seen one of these soldiers returning from Iraq having missing limbs who are instantly restored I've never seen Shriners kids jumping and leaping as if they had never been deformed from the womb. And I dare to say that you haven't either. And the complete absence of any sound evidence of supernatural miracles today, complete absence of it, is all the evidence we need to conclude that miracle signs and wonders have ceased and that the church today doesn't need them. We don't need them. We have the Holy Spirit, and Scripture bears witness to God's Son. We have full apostolic testimony and teaching of the record in our hands, in our Bible, and we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which we do well to pay attention to. 
as a lamp shining in a dark place. And we've been born again by seed that is imperishable, the living and enduring Word of God, who grants us life by faith, not by sight. Therefore, the miracles, these miracles will be visible throughout most of the book of Acts. Uh, they will serve to validate the ministries of true apostles. Uh, Christians, though, do not seek signs, wonders, or miracles on Sunday morning, hoping for some reassurance that God is, uh, God is still working visibly through us. Um, we walk by faith and not by sight, completely satisfied in knowing that the Bible assures that God prefers to work invisibly through us, accomplishing your sanctification and the building of His kingdom, replicating an image of His Son in you.